Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Hello, today's episode is about the science of ADHD, not what the science is, but how I talk about the science on this podcast. So this is sort of a meta episode, just in general for listeners to have a sense of where I'm getting my information and how I think about it and approach it. So the reason I wanted to share this is because this podcast is getting a lot of listens really quickly, and I wanted to let you know what kind of science I'm connecting to, what I'm sharing, um, also about how a lot of what I'm sharing is anecdotal and why, and then a bit about how I view my role in even sharing this information because I've been a bit blown away by the response to this podcast. It's a good thing, and also (laughs) this episode is really important to me to kind of talk about this meta idea of where the information is coming from. So first a bit about what kind of science I'm reading and hearing. I do read actual studies when I can get them. Sometimes they're behind a paywall, but when I go into depth about a study on the podcast, it's usually because I've either read it or I've read however much of it is publicly available, or I'm specifically referencing a book that goes into depth on that study. And in that case, I always reference the book. So I tell you who kind of created this information. I try as much as possible to credit the people who came up with the information if I know. And if I don't know, then I'll tell you that. So I try to be as transparent as possible when I'm talking about it. And then when I'm reading a book and they mention a study, I will often do a quick Google on it. Or if I see something on social media, I will often just quickly search If something sounds weird or interesting or maybe a little bit off, if I'm like, oh, I don't know about the statistic, I will look it up and try to find the original source if I can. So the example I want to give here is I was reading a book and they talked about a study and it said that it was about poison ivy and placebo effect. And they were saying that, quote, only two people in this study had this particular kind of reaction to the poison ivy. And I looked it up and this was a study in Japan in 1998 with only 13 people in it. So, you know, that's, I think that's a little bit sneaky of the book to not mention the, you know, they're saying only two, but that's almost 20% of the study because there were only 13 people in the study. This is the kind of thing that I care about in terms of accuracy. And I really try to look into things and share it with you when I can. And one of my random jobs that I've had was I was a researcher at a search firm, uh, recruitment. So one of my jobs was to find information online specifically about people that might be negative to a potential employer. So I learned a lot of deep internet research skills, and I'm usually pretty good at finding the source for what people are talking about, like the original source of where something came from. But yes, it takes time and I'm not always doing that, you know, with every single piece of information I hear. And then obviously I'm not always taking the time to put together a full bibliography style info packet. That said, something I really do care about is accuracy, both in the technical accuracy of the facts and then also how I'm presenting it and providing context. So like I said, you know, in that poison ivy study I mentioned a minute ago, I really think the book did not accurately provide the context. 
And sometimes when I read a book and then pass information along to you, like, for example, if I had not thought that was weird and Googled it, you know, I might have just passed that along and said, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. But as much as possible, I try to say whether I've looked into it more deeply or if I'm just sharing something that I read or heard. And this brings me to anecdotal evidence, because a lot of what I share on this podcast is my own experience experiences of my neurodivergent friends and family and clients, and then experiences from my broader community, some of whom are people I just follow on social media. So, you know, they're not necessarily people I know. I don't necessarily have the full context, but sometimes when I'm saying, oh, I've, you know, seen this many times, or this is something I'm seeing in my community, sometimes it's people who I directly do know and have experience with, and sometimes it's just things I'm hearing on TikTok over and over. And Again, I try when I can to tell you where I heard something like you'll sometimes hear me say, oh, I heard this on TikTok. I have not looked into it. And I might give the source, right? Oh, it's from a psychologist on TikTok, which is different than, you know, a random person on TikTok just talking about their own experience. Anecdotal evidence is not the same as the golden standard of, in science, double-blind peer-reviewed studies for good reason. They are not the same thing. Anecdotal evidence, by definition, is a very, very small sample size, and it does not have a control group. However, it's actually a really important part of the autistic and ADHD and general neurodivergent experience, I think. Anecdotal evidence, i.e. stories, have been huge for my own neurodivergent understanding and experience for the following three reasons. One, the research on autism specifically and honestly, most other neurodivergences is incredibly biased and not based on our lived experiences. It's using a pathologizing lens. It's often looking at a very narrow slice of autistic experiences. And in particular, the white male experience is very overrepresented in autism research. Two, even where the research does exist, in my opinion, having read a lot of studies, again, this is autism specifically I think a lot of what studies are finding is actually evidence of trauma and it's being called autistic traits, both because autistic people are more easily traumatized, plus we experience a lot of traumatizing events such as bullying and sexual assault at higher rates. And I wouldn't be surprised if the same were true for some other neurodivergences as well. So again, even where the research exists, it might not be the best, basically. And this is, again, my opinion about the trauma stuff being seen as autistic traits, and it's not yet reflected in the research. But I believe that if more people who are autistic who are, you know, quote, out about their autism were actually doing the research, we'd be seeing very different parameters and very different results. And then three, while individual stories and experiences may not be generalizable, they can still be incredibly useful at the personal level. For example, for myself, meeting other people who were autistic and ADHD and had Ehlers-Danlos or another hypermobility disorder helped me get supports in my own life. In some cases, literally in terms of uh, like a friend giving me a supportive thing for my ankle that I took home, you know, like literal supports. And hearing those people's experiences also helped me set up my life in a way that works for me, even before I had official diagnoses. Hearing from community members can help us sort out our own experience and figure out what we need as individuals, especially because the medical and insurance systems are sure as hell not helping us figure that out without a lot of pushing from us. So 
I have received a lot more useful support from anecdotal stuff and from community than I have from medical providers. And obviously I hope to see that change in my lifetime, but you know, all of that, all those reasons I just gave, that's part of my argument for why anecdotal evidence and stories can be incredibly helpful at the personal level. And at the same time, I kind of want to argue against myself and my role for a bit by bringing up a really key piece of information that's really been on my mind. It is the default of human brains to believe most things we hear just automatically. We just hear something, we believe it. That's the easiest thing for the brain to do. And then if we have the time and energy, we might go through a process of critical thinking. So I do experience for myself, I think autistic people might do more of that critical thinking by default than neurotypical people, but certainly neurotypical brains default to believing what they hear as far as we can tell in studies. So something I've been thinking about a lot lately is how my brain is really good at remembering facts. And I read a lot of nonfiction and hear a lot of things. And then all those quote facts are just bumping around in my brain but they may or may not be correct. They may have been misrepresented or misinterpreted by the author or creator I originally heard them from. So sometimes they're just in my head, but they might not be correct. And so something I've been thinking about is that nonfiction tends to be my go-to for entertainment, you know, edutainment. I will listen to things a lot. I'll like pick five books on the same topic and read them all really fast. That's entertaining for my brain. And I like letting all those things bounce around in there. But something I've been thinking about is that I think I might need to improve the quality of what I'm taking in as input because my memory is so good. So sometimes I'll read a book knowing that it's not a good book (laughs) and I kind of hate read it just to get some information or because I'm writing or working on something that I'm using that as a foil or a contrast. And a part of me is like, you know what, maybe I just shouldn't be taking in that shitty information in the first place. So for example, one thing I've been thinking about is I might try to take more fiction as entertainment so that I don't have to spend all that energy combating incorrect ideas that I'm taking in. And something that's really important for me to say in the context of this podcast is that I don't want you to trust me too much. Yes, I'm making this to be helpful. I want it to be helpful for you. But remember that I'm just a person and I totally will fuck up and say things that are incorrect or that proved to be incorrect later, because this science is always evolving. And one reason I'm putting together the transcripts for this podcast as a Google Doc that people can comment on is that I want you to catch me if I say something that's wrong or needs more context, or if you really want to read the study, I want to be able to provide that in a pretty easy way. And then I truly don't think of myself as a leader in this space, but I also acknowledge that increasingly some people are seeing me that way and treating me that way. I'm pretty actively against the cult of celebrity in any form, and I have no interest in participating in it. But even just as an example, I recently had a college friend tell me that she felt like she had kind of a parasocial relationship with me because she consumes so much of my content. And so she's caught up on the details of my life more than I am with hers. And I feel kind of weird about that, but I also get what she means because I've been putting my shit out vulnerably on the internet since at least... 2014 when I came out about my parents being abusive. So I really have been blown away by the response to this podcast. There have been over 2000 listens in the past month and over 500 listens a week consistently. People have been messaging me about it almost every day. 
and I'm happy to hear from you. Um, I've been getting messages about how it's helping people understand themselves and feel seen, which gives me warm fuzzies. This is why I'm doing it. And also people asking about wanting to talk to me or work with me in some form. And side note, in case you're one of those people, I think I've responded to everyone, but sometimes social media messages slip through the cracks for me. So if you didn't hear from me, you can email me at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com, M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com. And I will see that if you email me. I do have capacity to take one or maybe two more one-on-one clients right now, and then I'll have a couple more spots opening up in the fall. Just again, if you're one of those folks who's been messaging me about it. So again, to recap, I love science. And yes, I'm one of those nerds who reads whole papers, whether or not I fully understand what they're talking about. I especially love neuroscience. And I know when I read neuroscience papers that I do not understand everything in those papers, but I love them anyway. It is very likely that in this podcast, I will be relaying things I've read or heard from the science side of things that I misunderstand or misquote or provide insufficient context for because I am a lay person and I have my own very spiky profile in terms of memory and knowledge. Spiky profiles like an autism and ADHD thing where, you know, you have some extreme strengths and then some extreme weaknesses in certain areas of brain function. I also share a lot of anecdotal information and stories on this podcast, including my own lived experience, which can be very useful, but it's not generalizable to any of the communities that I'm talking about. If it's useful for you, awesome. That's why I'm doing it. But don't try to apply it to the other ADHD people you know without their consent, because it is so individual and their individual experience really matters. And I'm feeling a little weird about being in this semi-leadership space as an ADHDer with a lot of knowledge and skills and with, you know, those diagnoses, which I did seek out in part because I was helping people and I, I wanted to have that experience. And I know I literally do help people with this stuff, but again, I'm still just a person figuring out my own shit. So with all of that in mind, please do your own research, draw your own conclusions, It's fine for this podcast to be a part of your journey, but don't take me too seriously because I'm just a flawed human being who gets things wrong sometimes. And especially when it comes to the science side of things, there are branches of neuroscience that are in some ways just getting started. And there are so many things we don't know. I love speculating because my brain loves drawing connections between things. And I try to be really clear when I'm speculating or sharing my own ideas. Speaking of which, I would love to hear your ideas too when you want to share them. I'm still figuring out a good way for people to send in ideas. And in the meantime, you're welcome to go to the transcripts document that I'm working on finishing up and getting linked on all the episodes. And you can leave a comment or question on the Google Doc. As of now, I get email notifications whenever someone comments on the Google Doc, uh, although if it becomes too frequent, I might not be able to catch up uh, quickly on that. Just heads up. My intention is to have fully edited transcripts but also to put up the unedited ones from the service I use that generates an okay transcript. And I'll make a note if they're not yet edited. Uh, One thought I had is that maybe if people are helping me by noting spelling and grammar errors, it'll speed that process up because I'll be honest, the little detail work of getting the transcripts up and knowing that they're correct is really, really hard for my brain. And for accessibility, I think an unedited transcript is better than none. So I'm trying to convince my perfectionist part of that and just figure out a system to get them up faster. Thanks for listening. I super appreciate all the kind messages from folks. I hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next Friday. 
Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to join my newsletter, where I share more on these topics, point you to community resources, and share cute pictures of animals. I only send it when I have something meaningful to say. A friend put it well. With your newsletter, I feel like the predictability is in the quality, not the quantity, and it feels delightfully magical to have it pop up whenever it feels like it. Plus, you can respond directly to me, which I love. That link is in the show notes, or you can easily find it at my website, mattiamarie.com, M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com. 